0: It was November 2015 and I was uh, departing um, from India via Delhi. I'd spent six weeks at the Good Shepherd Agricultural Mission volunteering there and uh, I was returning home. and I had an escort uh, of Clifton, he wanted to make sure I left, and, uh, <laughs> and a couple of the ex-mission um, uh, boys were making sure I got through what turned out to be Peak time on the Underground Railway. Now, India has a fantastically new and brilliant Underground Railway, but we were travelling, trying to travel on that, at peak time. Now, I don't know whether you've ever been in a crowd before, but this was a seething mass of humanity. And uh, I had a backpack on, and my arms were pinned by my side by the people, because we were jammed like sardines in a tin without the oil, and uh, although we had oil on us by the time we finished. and, And we basically moved as one down this corridor and waited till a door on a train in front of us opened and then we just had no control over anything. Even if I'd had a mind to... I couldn't have changed direction, and the boys were worried I was going to freak out. You know, who's this old fellow from Tasmania? He won't be able to handle this sort of stuff. But I just went with the flow. I couldn't do anything else about it. And we, we got there, and eventually people got off at various stations. By the time I got to the airport, there weren't as many people with me. But I didn't have a mind to do anything about what I was in. And if we were to define the word, the mind... Uh, the dictionary tells me it's the element of a person that enables them to be aware of the world and their experiences, to think and to feel, the faculty of consciousness and thought, and one, it's one of the functions, one of the functions of our brains. It's a person's ability to think and reason, the intellect, and God has given this incredible organ called our brain, and here's some incredible facts about our brain. The latest estimate is our brains contain roughly 86 billion brain cells called neurons. Each neuron can transmit 1,000 impulses per second you got that and make as many as 10,000 of synaptic contacts with other neurons, which make it far more powerful than any existing supercomputer. Brain information travels at an impressive 430 kilometres an hour. This is faster than Formula One race cars which top out at about 380. Your brain generates about 12 to 25 watts of electricity. Some more, some less. (laughs) I didn't say anything about dimness. This is enough to power a low wattage LED light. Low wattage. Technology has forced most of us to be prodigious multitaskers, but your brain can't concentrate on two things at once. That lets me out because I can't anyway. What it can do, though, however, is toggle backwards and forwards between tasks, and it does this at a multiple speed. But doing so decreases your attention span your ability to learn, short-term memory and overall mental performances. So stop multitasking. It's not good for you. You'd end up not being as productive anyway. They tell me attention spans are getting shorter. In 2000, the average attention span was 12 seconds. Now it's eight seconds. See, I've lost you already. (laughs) That's shorter than the nine-second attention span of the average golfers. (laughs) The relying on your gps in your car to navigate destroys your innate sense of direction a skill that took our ancestors thousands of years to develop and hone when areas of the brain involved in navigation are no longer used those neural connections fade away via a process known as synaptic pruning it is true if you don't use it you lose it the memory is Better thought of as an activity rather than being associated with a specific area of the brain. Any given memory is deconstructed and distributed in different parts of the brain. Then for memory to be recalled, it gets reconstructed from the individual fragments. It's like trying to build a jigsaw puzzle when somebody scattered all the pieces all over the house. That's how it works. It collects them all and puts them together. I haven't got a memory, I've got a forgettery. The latest research shows that the brain's memory capacity is quadrillion or 10 to the 15 bytes. Astoundingly, this is about the same amount needed to store the entire internet at this stage. Of the thousands of thoughts a person has every day, it's estimate, estimated that 70% of this mental chatter, this mental chatter that's going on, so is self-critical, pessimistic and fearful? Seventy percent. How do I know these are all true? Got it off the Internet. Of course. <laughs> we are in a war. It's worldwide. It might even be World War III. It's a war by stealth. It's a war by saturation. A violent battle is raging around us 24 hours a day. It's a battle for the mind. Your mind, my mind and the mind of every person on this earth. We are bombarded by the stealth bombers of radio and mobile signals. Who knows what future research will uncover the harm from these Remember at one stage, asbestos and tobacco were thought to be helpful, not now. We're suffocated by spam and I don't mean the tinned meat stuff. I mean the unnecessary emails that come on our phones or our computers. There are piles of phishing emails and that's not ones that catch fish, that's ones designed to fish you. Our phone lines become clogged with unsolicited sales and political phone messages, particularly originally. Some even delivered by a computer or robot message system, not even a real person, to say nothing of social media, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. And now I'm not saying these things are wrong, I'm just saying they add to the bombardment. We're distracted by personal communication devices. PCDs, personal community hashtags, our iPads. I got my first iPod after I had a cataract out. A think pad used to be a pencil and a piece of paper. It's not anymore. We are guided by your GPS, we're followed by our Fitbits. We're shouted at in sound bites. News and current affairs are truncated to catch your attention. Remember, we've only got that attention span of eight seconds, so it's got to be an eight second message. We are exposed by Google Earth, even when those who live on the other side of the world can now see where we live if they so had a mind to do so. So, if we are under this bombardment of messages, signals, requests, sound bites, random facts, invitations, advertisements, everything, every organisation, everybody competing for our attention, how do we use, how do we select? How do we sort and sift and filter the extraneous from the essential? How do we use those things that are important? How do we select and sort and sift and filter the extraneous from the essential? The unnecessary from the necessary. The good from the garbage. At the beginning I talked about my experience in that Delhi train station. A sense of not being in control of either my direction or my destination simply carried on by the mass of humanity or mess of humanity, depending on how you view our world. Giving rise to a real sense of powerlessness and loss of control. My mind was in overdrive, but I was powerless to do anything about it. This is what it can seem like for some people consciously and most of us unconsciously as we're under this bombardment of messages. Everything is urgent and needs to be replied to every time that phone goes bip where our attention is pulled away. How do we use filters? What filters can we use to select, sift, sort and filter the unnecessary from the necessary, the good from the garbage? Well, the extraneous is a word I used there. Filter the extraneous from the essential. It actually means the irrelevant or unrelated. The sort of stuff that you don't need, it comes. It might be good in itself. It's a bit like those of uh, the older ladies in this uh, congregation would know a colander is something that's used to strain things for food. And sometimes you strain out what you don't want. Sometimes you keep strain what you do need. And the rest is extraneous. That's what you don't need. The definition of the essential, they tell me, is something that's absolutely necessary or extremely important. So how can we filter these things? How do we even know what's essential now with all the stuff that comes our way? It's becoming increasingly difficult as society changes at an ever-increasing pace. Our grandparents didn't face quite this barrage of multimedia. It would take weeks for a letter to arrive. Actually, that's a bit like today. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. They didn't have quite the multimedia uh, on sort that we do, neither did our parents so much. But I worry what our grandchildren are going to be facing or are facing now. What boundaries do we employ to guarantee we were receiving wholesome input into our brew? Exceeds brains. What boundaries? I mean, even our cars have fuel filters to stop the junk going into the injection or carburetor system. And if it's uh, blocked or that stuff gets through, the car either uh, underperforms or it has major damage done to it. We even go to great lengths to install and maintain antivirus programs on our office and home computers and anti-hacking software. Some of us even activate anti-spam software to save us deleting numerous emails. I said at the beginning that a violent battle is raging around us 24 hours a day because if you went onto your computer at night, there'd be stuff happening. It's it's constant because what is our day is somebody else's night uh, and so on. It is the battle for the mind and that battle is vicious. It's intense. It's unrelenting. And it is unfair because Satan never plays fair. And the reason why it is so intense is that your greatest asset is your mind. So it's obviously the greatest target. The prince of this world, Satan, a fallen angel, Lucifer is one of his names, uses and is behind in some cases some of the ways our society operates. He can use and does use and even designs some of the ways our world is operating. In First Peter, Peter reminds, reminds us to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. That's quite an image. But I'm sure we don't think of that consciously when we're on our computers or our phones. Other translations in that say be vigilant, stay alert. You see, whatever gets your mind, gets you. Whatever gets your mind, gets you. So one of the most important things we can do is learn how to guard, to strengthen and to renew our minds because the battle that we face every day is for our minds. Some of us face all sorts of other challenges too, but we would tend to forget that the greatest battle is actually for our minds because whatever gets our minds gets us. Now, I want to remind you of three spiritual realities that we need to have as an overlay to what we're talking about this morning. The first spiritual reality is that the spirit of a born-again believer has been made alive and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. The spirit of a born-again believer has been made alive and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. By that, I'm saying that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, as was evidenced by the baptism there of Michael, we are made alive again and we are sealed and safe by the Holy Spirit of God. In in Colossians it reminds us that he says he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So that's just affirmation that we've been made alive and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. The second spiritual reality about this is that God is still sovereign but he has allowed Satan to operate in this world within boundaries set by him. God is still sovereign But he has allowed Satan to operate in this world within boundaries set by him. And as Tony reminded us last week, a shift occurred in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve decided they knew more than God in wisdom. God is still sovereign, but he has allowed Satan to operate in this world within boundaries set by him. And 1 Peter 5, 7-9 says, Be alert, that passage again, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But the Apostle Paul reminded us that we can, even though we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, we can either live by the Spirit or by the flesh. Even as saved believers, as Christians, we can choose to live by the Spirit of God or we can choose to live by the fleshly way, and in Ephesians four twenty six twenty seven it says, and don't let's don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And that foothold word there means he gets he gets a, a, a geographical location within you. It's a place within you when in your um, humanness you get angry and in your anger which is a natural normal emotion you go then the next step and you sin by doing something inappropriate and that's choosing then to live by the flesh when we live by the flesh we give the devil an opportunity or a foothold and the greek word is actually meaning a place or a geographical location So the first spiritual reality was the spirit of a born-again believer has been made alive and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. The second spiritual reality is God is still sovereign, but he has allowed Satan to operate within boundaries set by him. And then the third spiritual reality is God is in charge of the final play of history. And Satan's um, freedom to roam and prowl is destined to end. So... We're saved, but God has given Satan uh, freedom to roam because of the choice of Adam and Eve and it would have been our choice too as fallen humanity. But God is in charge of the final play and he uh, will curtail and end Satan's freedom to roam. And in Revelations it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the final condition of Satan and his minions. Now to cast your mind back to last week Tony was introducing this series and she was talking about um, Satan's attack on Eve and she said that he didn't attack her with all guns blazing or attack with the dreaded bombs of disease or infirmity or even sending a missile of economic distress or the hand grenade of relationship tension with Adam that came later. He simply brings his battle to her through her mind, through her thoughts, her beliefs. The a question, a simple little question, has God really said did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, we don't know what other factors were a play in the garden. It was the perfect spot. It was God's intention that we be in that perfect place in harmony with our surroundings, even now. And it was um, our fellow beings and with the creator God himself. But the doubt put into Eve's mind tapped into what must have already been there. God had created them with a sense of freedom. But freedom within limits. A desire to test God's freedom had been put in place for them there, in their minds, to test their boundaries. And Satan tapped into that. But in the garden, God's standards are gold standards. They are clear as they are today. They're unequivocal. See, in the garden, there were lots of trees for fruit... Good for fruit, good for food, but there were only two trees of vital importance. One was the tree of life, offering fruit that perpetuated the perfectness of Eden and their life in it, life in its highest potency, eternal life. You see, Adam and Eve and their offspring should have lived forever. That was the plan. The other was the tree of knowledge of good and evil the fruit of which was forbidden for them to eat. This was the boundary that God had put on them. This was a test of obedience for the heart of man. God created Adam and Eve to be free beings, able to make decisions, able to choose between good and evil. And they chose to eat the forbidden fruit. And that choice is presented to us today in myriads of ways each day through the bombardment aimed at our rational minds and even at our subconscious. So how to build God's standards into our mind protection filters? First way I want to suggest to you is that we need to guard our mind from garbage. Guard your mind from garbage. Proverbs fifteen fourteen says, A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool feeds on trash. Guard your mind from garbage. The first thing is guarding our mind from garbage. The old cliche from the early days of the computer, and it's still true, G-R-G-O, no, no not, not the dart, not that one, G-I-G-O is garbage in, garbage out. And so if you put the wrong stuff and stuff in here, garbage comes out in our lives. If you put mental garbage into your mind, you will get garbage out in your life. And uh, Proverbs also says that a wise person is hungry for knowledge, but the fool feeds on trash. Any nutritionist will tell us that there are three kinds of food for your physical body. There is good food that makes you healthy. There is junk food, which is simple cal- calories. It's not poison, but you have more calories in than you're eating than you're out, going out in energy. Uh, you've got a weight problem increasing weight problem, and then there are toxic foods which are poison, things that we are not to eat, they will kill us. The same is true as what you see, what you hear, and what you allow into your mind. Some mind food will make you healthier, more godly, more mature emotionally. Then there is junk food, there is so much you can fill your mind with that it's really just stuffing your mind. It's neither good nor bad, but it's not very helpful. As it says in Corinthians 6, lawful but not helpful. In other words, some things aren't necessarily wrong, but they just aren't necessary. Then, of course, there's a mind food that is toxic, soul-destroying, life-degrading, and relationship-shattering mind food. Stay away from that. Put filters on your computers. This one. Change channel. Guys, don't have that second long look. Stay away. Don't go there. Switch off. The Bible tells us that to fill our minds with the right things, if you want to be healthy and fruitful in the Christian life, you need to ensure that your mind is being fed right. And we need to guard our minds. And Solomon, in, early in his life, he, he wrote this, More than anything, guard, protect your mind, for life flows from it. More than anything, you guard, protect your mind, for life flows from it. So here's some practical ways. Let's get practical now. Firstly, maintain a running conversation with God. Not a conversation while you're running. You might trip, but a running conversation with God. This is is kind of prayer. It's like a running conversation, which means we're not on our knees. We don't close our eyes, particularly if we're driving. Please don't close your eyes if you're driving. Um, And it's not the prayer that we would have as we go to prayer meetings or as we go and there's one this Wednesday night fantastic yes Wednesday night 7.30 in here um, and they are really fantastic so be there um, it's the kind of prayer that you would have as you were talking to somebody just generally connecting with for your day maintain a running conversation with God invite him into your life all the time um, and then Paul also says that we should fix our thoughts and then Philippians 4 he says do not be about anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and then finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What Paul is saying there is think about the the nature and the attributes of God because that's what those things that are described there are. Connect yourself and fix your thoughts on God, those wonderful things. How do we do that? Well, we do it by concentrated focusing. And uh, uh, you need to then spend t- and the best way to do that, if, you, if you're able to, is to start the day like that. And, that. and that's where I enjoy the 20 minutes in the chair of the morning, because that's the beginning of my running conversation for the day. And when it comes to thoughts that aren't helpful, don't try and resist them. Replace them. Replace them with something else. Change the channel, refocus change the negative to the positive, change the pity me to praise him, change the misery thoughts to meditating on God's promises. So guarding your mind from garbage is the first key, putting, strengthening the filters on your mind, recognising what is garbage and what is good. And secondly, never let up on learning. Never let up on learning. So we um, Become a lifelong learner, love knowledge, love wisdom, learn to love the act of learning. In fact the word disciple means learner and the origin of the word disciple seems to point to the practice of learning by sitting at the feet of a teacher. Uh, In the New Testament context a person sitting at the feet of a rabbi and then uh, especially one who then goes on to teach others, a sense of being an active follower Jesus' disciples were sitting at the feet of the rabbi sent by God. And you cannot be a disciple of Christ without being a learner. Jesus said, "'Come to me, all who are labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from you.'" In other words, work in partnership with God, yoke to him and learning from him. Journey with him in partnership.'" These two methods to guard your mind work firstly by making sure there is a strong two-way communication uh, link with heaven through the intercession of God's Holy Spirit. And our mind then focuses on the important and uh, necessary life-giving input and so crowding out the non-essential and extraneous. And, And secondly... By loading up our mind with good thoughts, our conscious mind with God-describing thoughts, God-worthy thoughts. So we replace garbage with good and God thoughts. We talk here often, we talk about the process of, of Hope Pathways. And we talk about people coming and uh, being a friend of the church or people within the church. Then people going on to explore. Uh, others become new Christians a growing Christian, or Jesus-centred, others-focused Christian. And it's just a way of describing a progression of understanding and growth, the lifelong process of sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him and teaching others as you learn. Of course, we can't physically go back and sit at the feet of Jesus in that literal sense, but you can sit at the feet of Jesus and be a disciple uh, by availing yourself of opportunities to learn to learn from him and here at Door of Hope we're very deliberate about that discipleship encouraging each to journey along the hope pathways as we've described it and uh, uh, so that you can experience what discipleship is about by experiencing powerful prayer and uh, actively pursuing the lost by personally inviting people and uh, the Alpha program and together building up a positive caring community Persistently, personally growing through our learning, each developing a purposeful, purposeful lifestyle, and each understanding profitable stewardship. And you're not left on your own. We're intentional about this hope pathway. So, and uh, we set up uh, pro- alpha programs for people who are our friends, and exploring what the Christianity and Church is about. A nine, a non-threatening nine-week video series that uh, you're aware of. And then we have Intentional Living as a short course or Connect group study, ideally following on from Alpha. And then other pathway pathway courses such as Search for Life and the Marriage course and so on. There are Connect groups studying the same subject as the Sunday sermons or other material. And if you can't attend regularly on Sunday uh, Sunday worship at teacher services, teaching services due sickness or work you can actually go online nowadays and uh, listen to a sermon online by what the process called On Demand then we advocate 20 minutes to chair where we sit of the morning or sometime during the day with our bible and our soap journal and we read a, a, a bible passage probably the one from the bookmark that we're given each month and so we establish that daily connection with God. And then, of course, there's all sorts of things like tapes, CDs and books. To be a disciple means to be a learner. That's what a discipleship is about. See, this is a crucial way to sift, select, filter garbage from the good by being a learner. You see, it's not just about acquiring knowledge, although we do need to know things to be able to filter things. And I want to just challenge you by reminding you that more awaits a believer than salvation. There is more to being a follower of Christ, a Christian, than just believing. Paul talks about babes in Christ as ones who have not grown. There is the living and the learning and an on-the-job training, if you like, as a disciple. All discipleship continues until either Christ returns or you get promoted to heaven. Both Both are good options. So what do you think, folks? Who's winning the battle for your mind? What processes do you have in place to protect that important aspect of your life? I think Jesus knew that we'd be in a battle for our minds and, of course, that's one of the reasons we are encouraged to share communion each week, each time we meet, to remind us, to keep us uh, in touch with Jesus and his sacrifice for us and keep that whole process, that whole concept, that whole amazing uh, act that Jesus... Went through in order to protect us and to provide for us for eternity. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For who, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this morning the invitation is to all who have accepted Jesus Christ as their saviour to share in this very simple meal, the bread reminding us of his body broken for us a cup of juice to remind us of the blood that he poured out for us and that cleanses us from our sin. And if you don't understand quite what this is about this morning or you're not um, feel that you want to be identified with this act, simply pass the elements trays along and allow the others to um, participate. Let me pray. Father God, I want to... uh, Again, thank you for the act of salvation, for that miracle on Calvary and on the tomb, for that way that you made a path for us to go to heaven and for us to be justified in God's sight because of you. So we take this bread now and this cup and we thank you very much. Amen.